Welcome to the first episode of The Iteration with Ben and Johnny, where we talk about life as a member of the IT crowd. How are you, Johnny? I'm doing very well, Ben. Is that really, really going to be our intro for this first? It is for today. <laughs> iteration number one, baby. It only gets better from here. I guess that's actually the whole point, right? So the iteration, that is all about what iteration or iterating is kind of all about, isn't it? Just learn from your mistakes and keep going. So yeah, but I mean, so the iter- so the idea of the iteration. I mean, I guess let's. It's the name of the podcast. You're Ben. I'm Johnny. And what are we? What are we going to be talking about? You know, I just wanted to create a an avenue to talk about things that come up in the IT industry when you're working in technology. There's a specific set of topics that just seems to come up over and over. Questions, situations, and I never found any uh, podcast or any kind of YouTube channel that deliberately addressed those issues. So, uh, you know, I think that I think you and I are uniquely positioned with our experience to talk about these things. And maybe there's people out there that care about that, too. I love it, Ben. Well, let's talk about our experience real quick. So we said we're uniquely positioned. So I think I think I think you might be right. I mean, we very human centered, right? In this world of technology, um, a little bit of everything. So, um, I guess I have, man, I got started coding websites like back. Oh man. It's been a while. I'm like trying to think this is so absolutely. Yeah, no, Johnny, tell, tell me about your, tell me about your technology journey. There we go. So yeah. Interesting technology journey. So I started with, uh, audio video stuff actually. So I was a broadcast producer in Madison, Wisconsin, and uh, I worked for a local cable company there, and I was making local television spots, and then we had to get those spots so that our customers could see them uh, online. And so my technology journey moved me from shooting video back in the days where before it was digital, you had to actually take it and convert it uh, from analog to digital, and then you could edit it in a nonlinear editor, and then you have to upload that online. And that's... uh, yeah, I basically got my start there, and then I started making websites. Um, so a lot of HTML, a lot of CSS, a lot of front end, uh, and and now I've kind of morphed into graphic design that turned into like website design and graphic design that that changed into I guess would be UX designer, um, and then there's this whole engineer idea. Like I think it's so interesting, and I can't wait to talk about it later. Just these titles. Uh, about designer, engineer, UI, UX, and, and I was I was in that kind of gray space where it all just kind of blend together. Finally, I've landed just now after it's probably been six or eight years of that UX, UI, front end, human interaction, uh, product design, to now landing on my feet as a product owner um, here in the Midwest, uh, and. Uh, pretty exciting now after kind of running the gambit of doing this and doing that but actually you were instrumental ben in my journey um because i think that you were positioned i'm interested in in uh you were positioned in some leadership roles if i and to to kind of empower people yeah yeah well before, before we get there yeah, johnny yeah, i just i think i think i want to touch on what do you what do you like about the technology industry what, what do you um what gets you excited at the end of the day oh man i think uh, that's a great question, and that's your UX background coming at you there. Um, 
I like just the pe- helping people. Like the human, like technology doesn't matter without a person, right? So it's like, and and solving problems and like really unpacking it. And if I could save everybody in the world like five minutes, that's my, that's I will I will die a happy person. <laughs> if I saved you five minutes that you could spend with your family or you could spend watching a movie or doing something you like, that's my, that's my big thing. Yeah, I'm right with you. I, I think that that's what drew me to technology too. And, you know, but back when I was a kid, what, what brought me to, to focus on a career in technology was uh, something pretty simple. I just love to play video games. I mean, who doesn't, right? Um, and I was always someone that had a love for understanding how things worked. So that drew me in, that got me interested. And, uh, you know, as I progressed, I actually kind of had a very traditional technology career. I, I had a computer science degree and then uh, worked at, for a couple of years as a software engineer following college and then had a, you know, few roles as a UX designer and product manager and was a manager at some point, uh, <clears throat> leading a, a few designers in my team. So, I've had a little bit of a transition career-wise from being very entrenched in technology and focusing very squarely on the user. And, and what I've loved about that journey is that it, it really shows that you can play so many different roles and help customers in so many different ways. And what I found now is that what I've loved about that entire journey was the, the combination of, of the quantitative skill set combined with the creative skill set to help people. And that's kind of what brought me here today, Johnny. That's right. That's right. The thing I love about our backgrounds is that they are pretty diverse and like almost opposite. Like you, I went to school for multimedia and really actually I only did a year before I did the Disney college program and I got like wrapped up in, into the Disney way of life. And I was like, I got the entrepreneurial bug placed in me there and then doing wedding videos and stuff coming back. And then it's just so interesting to like what it would have been like to go through, you know, computer science, get the bachelor's, get the master's, the whole education route versus this this other route. I just love that it's like the two, the yin and the yang, you know? Yeah, here. no, I can tell you. I can tell you all about that. So... I think that there are pros and cons to to both approaches. I don't think there's a right way. I don't think there's a wrong way. The only thing that matters is where you end up at the end. And somebody like myself who's gone through the traditional education system and studied computer science and user experience design from a degree program, um, I think comes out of it with a very theoretical knowledge of how to approach problems. And I think that that's beneficial when it comes to to dissecting new problems that you haven't seen before because you have some of that theoretical background. What I can tell you that the education does not help with is how to solve practical problems, how to be a good employee, how to be a good team member. It does not help you with practical problems skills, at least not the programs that I was involved in, which meant that basically in the workforce, maybe about 10% of what I learned in school was actually applicable. 
Um, what I did learn that was more of a meta skill was maybe how to keep learning on my own. You know, faced with a difficult problem, how do I break it down and figure out a way to solve that problem without anyone necessarily guiding me? So that I think is a plus, but I think that there are a lot of ways to acquire that skill. So you don't have to go to a traditional um, degree program for that. And, uh, you know, I would say that if, uh, if, if your goal is to become very proficient with a certain technology that is in demand right now and make yourself marketable in the workforce, then a degree program may not necessarily even be the right choice. Um, it, it really does slow down and in some cases hinder one's introduction into the workforce. Well, especially too, Ben, when it comes to like some of these JavaScript frameworks that are just like basically coming out, it seems like every day there's a new JavaScript framework. So if you get locked into an academic setting, you know, you might, you know, be held back by the technology, but it's, I guess you're right. It's that, that drive to learn. It, it's almost, I, I kind of long for the days of like apprenticeships where, you know, you go back, you find a mentor and then you are get taught by them, you know, like, like the trades almost. Right. In the professional world, at least I found finding a mentor is one of the hardest things to do. I haven't found a mentor myself. So in spite of wanting one, <laughs> it's, uh, it's not an easy thing. And, um, I agree with you. Do you think LinkedIn is, uh, it definitely LinkedIn has changed a lot, right? Uh, since it first came out, it was definitely much more of a, a social network, yes. basically. But, but like the, for work though, it was like, okay, there's use. This is what you post on Facebook. This is what you post on LinkedIn. And they were two totally different things that you might like baby pictures are Facebook resume and work stuff is going on LinkedIn. But it, there's kind of a blur and a divide, or I guess it's a blur right now, especially with the election year and everything. It's getting nuts. But I mean, I don't know if LinkedIn, it seems like it's a recruiter tool now. Yeah, it's a recruiter tool. It's a tool for people to to blow their horn about their accomplishments. It's a, it's a tool to connect with former former team members, former, former colleagues. Yeah, it's evolved a whole bunch. And uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if you see these these features on your end, Johnny, but but I I get these messages to uh, you know connect with people that want mentorship on LinkedIn, and I eat that up. I love that. Um, I, I don't know how effectively it works. So you know, if you're out there from LinkedIn and you're listening to this, I'm not sure if your if your mentorship tool actually does a really great job of connecting people together that want to that want to talk about the same topics or have the same level of commitment. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm always happy to, to connect with people on LinkedIn and share any insights. And on a couple of occasions, I've helped people to transition into being a product manager or being a UX designer. And they've later expressed a significant amount of gratitude for that LinkedIn connection without which they wouldn't have been able to get their first leg in the door as a product manager. So I thought that was really cool and shows how, how technology and LinkedIn really helps with some of those things. So we almost need like match.com or eHarmony for mentors, like that algorithm that helps match people, but for a work setting, not necessarily a romantic relationship, but more so for your professional. And so we got to, sounds like we have a product to design. 
<laughs> Sounds so. <laughs> or LinkedIn. If you're out there, let me let me know. Yeah. Ping me and I'll give you a whole bunch of feedback on your product. Let's do that. We should do that. We should use the iteration to do like maybe iter- what would we what would we iterate on some of our favorite products? What would our yeah. next iteration be? What would be the next iteration? That's a good question. Ooh, I like this. I like this feels freeing, Ben. I like this. This feels really good. You can do no harm, Johnny. This is only the first iteration. Right. There's always the next That's one. Right. Fail fast, fail often. We didn't even do a uh, tech test. Like we didn't even stop. We just hit go. I mean, this is how gung ho we were on this. I trust the internet to make it happen. We could absolutely not even be recording any audio right now, and we would not even know. It's that. <laughs> it's. But I think we you are. get to the end of the podcast. Right. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> it's, just, it's just X number of minutes of silence because we're not even going to listen to it. Like that's how. No, just kidding. That's funny. Um, no, that's great. I think that 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 feels like the spirit of the iteration. Ben, I like it. We're channeling it. We're going to need to figure out a tagline and all this other great stuff. T-shirts, merch. It'll come, Johnny. Scope V2. creep. That's, 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 anytime anything happens, you can just respond. Scope creep. I've, just get uh, it out there. Just get it out there, Johnny. I've. Uh, Why are you worrying about the details? Let's just get it out there get and up. get customer feedback. Oh, smart, smart. My, it's so funny that once you get into tech, like even my wife and I start talking. We have a Kanban board for chores. Like we have, we do, we actually speak in like that scope creep. Like yeah. We just need to get the light up, honey. We just need to put up the light. Oh, we're up there. We could maybe take the popcorn ceiling off. Ah, scope creep. <laughs> popcorn ceiling. That's dangerous stuff. Oh, you watch out. Depends. Yeah. <laughs> Be careful. I wish it was just a CSS property and I could just go popcorn ceiling, colon, none. That would be... <laughs> display none. Display none. <laughs> popcorn ceiling class or ID. God. Would popcorn ceiling be a class or an ID? I think it would be a class. It would be a it would be a property of an attribute. Mm. Mm. Well, ceiling uh, colon popcorn or ceiling colon smooth. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I like this. We're going to have to categorize things as that'd be an ID or a class. Man, this is going this is going all sorts of great places for our first go, for our first iteration. Speaking of going places, you're in a new place, Ben. Normally kind of a jet setter on the coast <laughs> well I, i'm normally on the east coast normally in new york but i wouldn't characterize myself as a jet setter i actually don't like to travel a whole lot um but i am i am in uh i have spent a lot of time in new york and also uh texas and houston specifically now houston like austin isn't austin the actual tech hub because i'm actually it is not yeah super no I, I love austin austin's great yeah, um, that's definitely the place to be in Texas if you work in technology. Uh, I happen to be in Houston because that's where my family is. Oh, there you go. I dig it. I dig it. But I... even still, even still, there's a lot of technology here, but it's for it's industry specific. That's what I find. Like that's really interesting, actually, that you brought it up because in uh, geographies that are not known as tech hubs. There's still a ton of technology happening, but it's it's just very industry specific. So, for example, in uh, Houston, a lot of the industry is built around oil and gas. So you get a lot of technology surrounding like monitoring oil pipelines and 
um, you know, managing the, the entire process of refining oil and uh, finding oil, digging for it and so forth. So th- there's a lot of technology that goes behind that. And in New York, I, I guess New York is kind of a tech hub, but, but it's, it's very finance oriented. And mm-hmm. some of the most innovative technologies are, are really you know, born from the finance industry. I think they're one of the first that really cared a lot about um, very low, low latency transactions for, for stock trades. So a lot of that stuff came from, from that industry too. So let's see. And so I'm Midwest. I don't know. I guess we do corn here. <laughs> so farm tech, farm, farm yeah, tech, ag tech for sure. Uh, as I j- joke about it. Uh, but no, yeah, I, I think there's a ton of technology. I mean, what, what farmers are able to do now with, you know, satellite imaging and, and basically GPS on their tractors, like they can basically get like every square inch of crop out of their land. Like now that they can plan appropriately and the stuff they're doing with drones is pretty incredible. So that's really neat from the Midwest yeah. standpoint. What do you think? Uh, so we've kind of covered. So, I mean, the South, the South is more than just Texas, but I, I mean, that feels like the, what other tech hubs do you think are, I'm not familiar with the South as much. Yeah, no, neither am I. I mean, I think, I think, I think technology is, is, revolutionizing every industry every mm-hmm. every major organization or company in any industry is going to have a significant technology presence in their in their teams it, that has to be the case because there's no way to do business today and compete without a technology advantage so if you're from the south you need to let us know you got to tell us <laughs> so it's yeah. so that <laughs> So and then if you're if you're in uh, you know for coming from the West Coast or maybe even before that like uh, maybe in Nevada territory there's there's uh, you know gambling I would tech gaming, is that a thing for sure oh gaming my gosh. tech yeah I would think gaming there's a whole freaking uh, agency there isn't there a, a gaming commission and everything like that in in Nevada yeah I would think for Las Vegas. And I mean, Silicon Valley is kind of a no-brainer. I mean, we'll maybe we'll end with punctuation point on that one. Like everything, it's the cradle of humanity when it comes to technology, which is crazy because you just look at what that has birthed as far as a human component, like the rents and the the transportation hubs and the matrix and the busing and the everything they got going on now. There, it's it seems like almost. California, they're starting to migrate towards Oregon and Washington. I mean, so Microsoft's up in Washington. Right, yeah. So that West Coast, I mean, there's a lot of... I mean, Apple's out there. Is it is Apple in Cupertino? Is that where Apple Yeah, yeah, okay, they're in yeah. Cupertino. Yep. I should know all this stuff. I guess I, I did. I guess I did know it. <laughs> but um, Google is... They're they're everywhere. Yeah, they have they offices are. everywhere, particularly in areas that are close to to universities that they that they want to attract talent from. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also in places where like like I recall that that Google wasn't in Seattle for a long time, but I think because they wanted to hire folks that maybe had been working in Microsoft or, or you know places like that. Sure. They they set up an office there so that they could attract that talent, and of course, you know, there's good universities there too. There's almost a joke that I've heard that you essentially go just door to door. Like when you are a tech talent in a place like Silicon Valley, like you just are 
bouncing from place to place and there's just the brain drain and you're you're working at Facebook one week and you're at Yahoo if that's even still a, one of the big players. Yeah. But you just and honestly, I don't know how people do that effectively. I've never been one that was able to just you know, transition that easily from company to company. I think that it takes so long to become productive, to truly show your value. I suppose if you just market yourself and, and, and you want to make a jump and, and it doesn't matter so much whether you've contributed a whole lot to your previous company, then, then, then I suppose you can make that happen. But, but I've always felt that it takes so long to just get up to speed that uh, I want to make the most of my of my investment at that company, and may- maybe that's not the best way to to maximize your income because I know that there have been studies published saying that if you if you don't make a change every couple of years, you're you're lo- you're leaving money on the table essentially, sure. and that is true to a degree. Well, there's also the whole contractor component too, right? I mean, that's the thing that I still have a problem growing up when I grew up. Like it, it, my dad worked for the same company for 50 years. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, that mentality is just now, I mean, not maybe just now, but we're almost, that's a, it's either eroding or eroded. Like it's, that's not it anymore. You're not at a company for 50 years anymore, which is just bizarre to me because there, there, there felt something just to get, I don't know. It just, there's felt something honorable about that, which is weird because it's like now it's corporations are people and it's this. I don't know. It's really interesting nowadays. Like the- I don't think that shift even came about from, you know, it wasn't a one-sided shift. I think that, I think that companies became more agile and dynamic, and mm-hmm. they started to treat their workforce in a certain way that that meant that employees realized that maybe that safety net wasn't there anymore. And then on the flip side, um, the, the the workforce. And, and one's ability to find employment became much more fluid. So those two things, I think, came together to make for uh, much shorter, um, much shorter uh, durations of employment at a specific, specific company. For sure, that agile, you know, not, not the specific methodology, but just the idea of agility, right? The, the, the being able to adapt and change, you know, I think is, is good. Uh, and I'm glad companies are doing it. There's just something about it that I want. I want to change and adapt and grow. But it's it's I don't know. There's something where I want to. I don't know if there's a reverence or a respect that you just kind of have to be like, wow, or maybe an appreciation is probably the better word. You just have to kind of appreciate that, like you, not just like, oh, that was old and this is new. You can be like, man, that got us to where we are today. That was the stepping stone to put us where we are today. And I hear that a lot actually when people are like kind of slagging on you know legacy systems we actually culturally decided we're not going to call it a legacy system our old technology is our heritage systems we've we decided it seems real funny to be nitpicky about words like that but to me it's our heritage it's our pedigree or a pedigree system like it was a it was a system that got us where we needed to go and we want to help upskill the people that were on that now so that they can move on or move with and keep up but i guess that's the the idea of just the commitment and just believing in your people, I guess, you know? Yeah. That's so rare these days. That's the, that's the part I guess I miss. I feel like that, that used to be the thing that those 30 year, they believed in the people, but maybe it was just a different time with different products and different thought processes. And maybe it's because we weren't so connected that we are today. 
Who knows? It's an interesting idea to kind of explore, though. Yeah, no, that's that's a very interesting insight, Johnny. I think that I think that I think, unfortunately, you know, times have just changed. And with, uh, you know, with, with increased scrutiny on the bottom line and, uh, you know, the, the, the increased uh, availability of skill sets globally to tackle various problems without having necessarily to commit to full time staff, you know, that it contributes to this, this fluidity of adapting your organization to different needs. And I agree that oftentimes legacy systems or, or legacy people <laughs> get a bad rap because, because you have a new, a new wave of thought that comes in and all of a sudden the, the old becomes the wrong. And I don't know if the old necessarily is wrong. It was right for that time. Right. And it was, it probably like most of the people who come into an organization that I've witnessed that, that sell this idea that the, the, the old is wrong simply don't understand enough about their new context mm -hmm. to fully appreciate how much that old system got them to where they are today and how much understanding those old systems could continue to help them get to where they want to be tomorrow whether you're talking about systems or people, same thing. It's, it's definitely a changing world, Ben. I mean, when, whether it's, you know, legacy or heritage systems or whether it's even positions. I mean, the funny thing here on LinkedIn, um, there's just this great post uh, by a, a guy named Nusi. Just a, he's a UX design for web and mobile apps. And he just, he just asked, what is a UX developer? Uh, and a UX developer, which is kind of funny because we've heard of UX designer. We've heard of UX engineer, a UI engineer. And so this particular combination, Ben, um, would you agree is, is uh, well, he, well, Nusi says it's industry jargon. A UX developer is industry jargon. He says it's when a business can't afford to hire one UX designer and another front end developer. And he says that they want one person to handle the design and front end uh, and, and another person to handle front end. Oh, no, sorry. They say he wants one person to handle the design and the front end code implementation. So Nusi thinks it's industry jargon and they're just trying to cut costs and mash things together. What are your what are your thoughts on something like that, Ben, as things? Change? Well, you know, I think I think as usual. Perspectives are, are not entirely they're not entirely black or white, right? I mean, there, I think there's a lot of gray to interpret from, from what, from what Nusi's saying. Um, I think that Nusi's probably speaking from his point of view, from his experiences. And uh, to, to a degree, I have seen companies try to cut costs by placing the burden of two, what should be two roles under one person. That being said, there is a clear benefit to having engineers with a UX background. And that benefit comes from the engineer being able to fill in the gaps of requirements with their knowledge of what makes a great user experience and also enables them to contribute to conversations where there are heavy technical dependencies 
and teams are, are unaware how to marry the ideal user experience with what is reasonably possible with the platforms of today. And that's where I think the UX developer can truly add value. They're that connecting bridge. They understand how to make the most of the tools that, that we have. And um, furthermore, I would say that such a role is extremely beneficial in environments where you have to move very quickly, you're very agile, and maybe there's a very strong focus on prototyping or you know, the, the ability to, 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 to show the result of an idea very quickly using technology at hand. And, and it's that developer with a UX background that can really bring the two, the two sides of the equation together to make a, an optimal user experience. And where, where I've seen things fail without a UX developer role is when you have an idealistic UX designer that's suggesting a great user experience, but, but just something that, that isn't necessarily feasible with what's there today. And then you, you get stuck in these extremely long development cycles, prolonged releases, and sometimes even the idea of the UX in one's, in one's head you know, comes out to be, when implemented, totally impractical and, and a poor user experience simply because when, when the user experience was conceived of, the technical implications were not considered. And, and unfortunately, that happens way too often and um, you know, shows the true value of having people with multiple talents. I think I agree. I think I agree. And, and the, the thing that really came into my head um, while you were kind of, that's a great explanation, I think, Ben. Um, about kind of UX developers. So it sounds like to me that you think that that is not industry jargon. That is a role, a real role of somebody that is, that it's truly, we always talk about the unicorn. It's the unicorn. They have every skill ever and they all in one person and they and they have the great teamwork and they're awesome and they work 24, what is it? You, you call them like 10Xers? Is that what you were calling them before? Yeah, I mean, people people uh, who, who have the ability to contribute 10X or just, you know, at, at, some uh, you know amount of work that is that is just miles and away above what a what a person with a single skill set can provide. Um, not only are, is there is there a nickname for those people, ten Xers, but also uh, these are the people that become very successful in organizations such as Google. So UX developer is a role at Google, and um, I happen to know that. Those individuals are very successful monetarily, and they're compensated very well. They're not, they're not individuals that the company has hired to skimp on cost. In fact, if anything, they're probably paying more for those people. And it's an investment. It's an investment because Google knows that great user experience is key to their success and also the happiness of their customers. So it's to, it's to their uh, advantage to bring on people with multiple talents in engineering and development and have them fill in that, that void of coaching others how to create the best UX with the technology at hand. I think, too, the, 
I'm trying to figure the words because it's it's so foreign to me in the Midwest. I'd be interested if any any of our listeners are in the Midwest and they've heard this this term of the developer advocate. Like it's like a suffix modifier that you can add for individual contributors. Like when you don't want to do the management track, but you still want to compensate. You know, we've heard junior developer, we've heard developer, we've heard senior developer, and then you kind of become a developer advocate. Uh, or a I personally developer. have not heard of the developer advocate before. You've not? You really haven't? That's I have just, not. Then maybe, I don't know, man, it's weird. I, I saw it, and it's like for all of the, uh, it made sense to me when I saw it, and it's like IBM, it's these other like bigger places, that, and it looks like it's how they're using their, how to empower this, the individual contributor, right? Because you had talked about the different levels, Ben. I think off offline we had talked, because I'm not familiar with that here, that anybody in the Midwest has these levels that you were saying kind of Google and some of the other tech giants. Do you want to share some of those levels that you were kind of talking about before? Yeah, I'm just trying to think about, like a just C, trying to retrace where like our conversation C, was about there. It was like C1 and like you, you basically, it was, we were talking... Uh, previously because like this UX developer, like that's an individual contributor, but they are, a, they perform at a level that is, you know, it's not a junior, it's not a, it's maybe not even a senior, like they're kind of in their own stratosphere and it gets to this point where, well, they're not managing people though. And like we normally compensate people based on how many people are you managing? And you were saying, well, they're the, um, off, offline, we were talking about that there's these different levels that these larger tech organizations do that they, after you get a certain skill set or something like that, that there's like an almost infinite, like you can just keep going and you can, it's not about how many people work for you. Is right. That- yeah. No, exactly. So many of these larger tech companies have career tracks that enable you to continue progressing career-wise, both in terms of influence accomplishments, responsibility, and obviously compensation-wise, um, that they're not management track. Um, that is something which is, I think, pretty unique to the, the what I would call like, you know, the pure play technology companies that were founded as a technology company. And as you progress, what happens is you you eventually reach what's called a distinguished status. That's actually a role, like a distinguished engineer. Um, in, in other companies, it, it, you know, it's something else. Like maybe you know, if, if your company has um, numerical levels, like you know, developer one, developer two, senior developer, a staff developer. Staff developer is pretty common. Um, senior staff, uh, senior manager, staff. You know, every combination of that. Um, but the higher you go, the as a, as a as an individual contributor, the more you begin to measure your your impact based on thought leadership. Um, so, for example, if you are you know a database engineer, for instance, and you progress all the way up to distinguished database engineer then then at that point you're you might be writing code um you might be working with teams but i would say a significant portion of your time would be spent at conferences 
uh, evangelizing um, your products and speaking about them from an engineering perspective, speaking with other thought leaders in uh, database engineering to define the next standard for databases, right? So, so you, you become this sort of individual contributor thought leader who is responsible for guiding the high-level vision from a technology standpoint, but you don't have to manage people, which I thought was interesting. Like a lot of the companies that I've worked for didn't have that. And, you know, you, you had to enter management when maybe, maybe that wasn't necessarily what you wanted to do, but, but, but it was something that was necessary to advance your career and, and you know, increase your income and so forth. Um, so yeah, that is very interesting. I, I don't know why other companies don't, don't have that, but um, I think it's a gap. I think, I think that people should be able to continue advancing in their careers as an individual contributor and not necessarily be pushed into management if that's not what they want to do. Yeah, it, it, I can't imagine the amount of overhead that would take, though, to like actually nuance out and iterate, hey, unlike different levels in order to, to justify pay because there is a return on investment component on that too. Like you can't just like, okay, I'm a super senior cyan three, four, five Roman numeral 12, you know, and I'm a, I'm now the thought leader and I levitate, you know, I mean like there needs to be, how do you get to that point? And then what does that mean for the company? And then your pay is derived off of that. I'd expect, right? Right. I mean, well, what it means for the company is that, you know, number one, uh, your, you know, it, let's just say that, that, that you are a distinguished engineer, your, your opinion on how something should work tends to be right. You know, that it's one of the biggest de-risking factors of any particular engineering project is, have you reviewed it with so-and-so and do they agree with the direction of how we're building the product. Because if they don't agree, then there's a high likelihood that there's probably something that might be a problem down the road. So Ben, and, I got to stop you here. So help me understand how is that, it sounds like a positive version of tribal knowledge, which tribal knowledge is like where information hoarding and the fact that you know something that somebody else does I mean, like, where help me understand the difference between those. Like, why is this good and tribal knowledge is bad? I don't think tribal knowledge is bad. Oh, I think I think that tribal knowledge is important. What what becomes bad about tribal knowledge is when people have this understanding of what of of what a system does, but they don't know why they do it. Right. Oh. So if if yeah, like if, if there's a group of people that have always done things a certain way with the system, and then all of a sudden they're asked, "Well, what if we change it to something else?" And their only the response to that is, "Well, this is the way we've always been doing it. I can't tell you, you know, the the implications of changing the system to something else." Then then that becomes a problem, in my opinion. Um, whereas someone who's a distinguished engineer, I don't think necessarily has those sorts of blind spots. Um, they're, they're able to dive right into the detail of why exactly is this engineered a certain way? And 
should it be continued? Should that practice be continued in the future, given the direction of the industry, given the new standards coming out? And if there is not a standard that, that, that matches our needs, then maybe we should create our own standard and maybe we should network with other people in the industry to influence um, key, key players to, to adopt this new standard. And maybe I should publish a book or write an article or speak at a conference to get the word of this new standard out there and get everyone on top of it. So, you know, tribal knowledge, I think, is, is, is great. It's not necessarily something, um, you know, the knowledge is not necessarily documented anywhere. It's in everyone's head. Um, but I think it, for me, it comes down to the why. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and it sounds like a why combined with a driving force. So it's, it's not only the, the why, but like this is the person that is critically thinking th- that they can navigate. And maybe they, they, this, the value, and maybe that's where the tribal knowledge is, is like we all have to navigate these bureaucracies at work every day, right? The political intrigue. Uh, hopefully you don't have any, but if you do, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but you you kind of have to know the where the mines are and and where the safe spots are. And it and I guess that really feels like it's infused into these higher titles as well. It's like there's all these kind of unsaid things that aren't necessarily I don't know if that's tribal knowledge. Maybe it is, but it's it just as you were talking, it just kind of struck me as we we talk and talk and talk about tribal knowledge as this this negative thing. I think it's really refreshing to get a perspective where you're like, it's not it's not all bad. Is what I feel like I'm hearing you say. Yeah, exactly. I don't think it's all bad at all. Lots of gray. You know, there, there there is another component of tribal knowledge where where uh, people don't necessarily have a within within one person a full picture of how the system works, right? So I think that that is a side effect of tribal knowledge that uh, is potentially negative where, you know, you, you not only are able to construct the full picture, but you're also not able to, to understand why anyone does what they do. Um, they, they just do what they do because that's the way things have worked. Um, but but, but the, just having tribal knowledge is not necessarily negative. Well, and a lot of this truly stems from experience. I mean, the, whether it be um, for for this in particular, like when you're going to go into these top tier, high tier um, positions of these senior um, staff developer, I mean, you probably have a, a fair bit of experience under your belt. But on the flip side, like we were kind of talking at the very beginning of this too, Ben, um, this is another post on LinkedIn uh, from Jandeep, um, who said, my friend applied to two companies. He got shortlisted for a final interview in both of the companies. Company one rejected him because because he had less experience according to their so-called standards. And company two hired him regardless of less experience because he had the drive, passion for work, and the kind of character they were looking for. Long story short, it sounds like he's now the GM of that company. Look for the character and passion for work. Skills can be learned, says Jan Deep. Agree. Agree or disagree? I think in general, I think in general, attitude trumps skill in general. 
However, here's what I'd say about about Jandeep's uh, Jandeep's comment there. I think there's a there's an assumption that he's making, which is that when a manager chooses to go with one candidate versus another, and the candidate with more experience is chosen, that the manager is, by definition, choosing experience versus attitude. And you know, speaking as somebody who has been a hiring manager in the past, I don't think that's necessarily the case. There are a whole bunch of other factors that come into whether or not you're going to hire someone. So the first is monetary, right? Is this person going to fit within within the, the pay range that, that you have at your disposal within your budget. And the second is maybe the role that you're hiring for is specifically a senior level role. And so therefore you are obligated as a manager to hire a senior level skill set, which means that you're not, you're not green, you're not fresh. And in spite of the fact that you may have the greatest attitude in the world, that role is specified as a senior level role and you have to, you have to do your due diligence. Um, and there's other, thing, there's other things that come in, like maybe you have two people who have similar levels of motivation and a great, you know, both people have a great attitude, but one person has more experience, in which case you go with the person that has the attitude and the experience. So, um, you know, I think in general, what, what Jandeep is saying is, is, is true, but, but I think that it's, it's coming from perhaps a perspective that doesn't consider all of the other factors that go into hiring. I think that's quite a reflection. I think, I think you actually have perspective on that though, Ben, because of your position as someone who has had to actually hire people. Like I, I, I would say probably on LinkedIn, there's probably less people that have done that, right? There's more job seekers than job, uh, givers. I don't know. Job, people that provide. Jobs. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Uh, and so I think like part of this, I see these a lot, you know, of like skills, skills can be learned. I agree. Uh, I, I, I like the sentiment, you know, like it feels like an aspirational positive story, but also it, I don't know, man, maybe I've just seen too many of these where ugh, they just, yes and no. I guess I just want to say yes and no. Yes on the surface, but when you start to do, again, that critical thinking that you were talking about, right? Like, well, <laughs> I might be able to afford somebody or whatever. I don't know. It's just, it's, you look at something and I guess it's like, it just makes good snippets right it's good social media right i mean it's almost like it's not clickbait but it's it's thought bait yes yes there you go did we coin a new phrase <laughs> thought bait thought bait coined by it's, uh, iteration it's like social yeah that's it the iteration we're gonna make it that's our first t-shirt thought bait <laughs> <laughs> um so man but yeah it it's a is it formulaic i mean is it what is it it's the it's a feel good like it's a of course everyone a lot of people post things that are kind of 
inflammatory when you think about it at, you know, on a very, on a very uh, superficial level, you know, like mm-hmm. these are things that I think everyone who has applied for a job and didn't get it, including myself, wants to believe that, you know, they, they deserved it. And that the only reason why that, why, why they weren't accepted was because of some, I would, I'm not going to say unfair because it's not, it's not unfair, but, but some, some maybe morally or, or ethically, uh, you know, questionable practice of favoring people who have skills, but no, no attitude or no, uh, you know, work ethic. Yeah. It couldn't possibly and have been my fault. It, couldn't it was possibly your fault have been for choosing fault. the wrong person. It wasn't my <laughs> fault. Um, yeah. I mean, I think everyone has that gut reaction. I've had that gut reaction myself when I've applied for jobs and not gotten them, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, then after, after I take a step back and drink a couple of glasses of wine, then I think, you know, maybe, maybe something else happened that I just don't know about. Maybe that recruiter didn't call me back because, you know, they just got really busy or inundated or, or whatever, right? Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe they weren't trying to be a very rude person, which that's debatable. Some recruiters are extremely rude. Really? I have very yet rude. to experience a rude recruiter in the Midwest. Really? Maybe. I've had a recruiter tell me that, uh, that, uh, so first of all, they, they sold me on this job that paid a certain amount. I interviewed for the job and I got it. And then the company offered me less than, than what the recruiter told me they were going to offer. It was significantly less. And when I told the recruiter that actually what they're offering, what the company is offering is, is lower than my current comp. They told me that I needed to prove it with pay stubs. What? <laughs> yeah. That's ridiculous. What? what? You need you need to prove it. <laughs> you need to prove Why? it with pay stubs. Why and, would you, you know. ever need to do what? <laughs> that was the end of that conversation. <laughs> I never talked to that guy again. Oh man, we need a, a chapter of the iteration where it's just Recruiter horror stories. <laughs> you can send in your recruiter horror stories to. Do we even have an email yet, Ben? I don't think we do. How are people? We gonna... don't. We need one. We need. We need everything. We need Instagram. We need. Oh Facebook. my goodness! We need... Do we? Do we? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I mean maybe not for the MVP. There you but... go. There you go. We do probably need some sort of way to pe- to con- Yeah, we'll find you. Maybe we just we'll figure a, it out. We need a, a bat signal. We'll call it the iteration signal. You can just shoot into the sky, and we'll be like, ah. <laughs> They're thinking we need to, about us. We need to begin accepting uh, audience questions via, you know, some other channel. We can't, we can't stay on LinkedIn forever. We need to directly connect with our audience. We will. That's we'll goal. need to do that. That'll be for iteration two. Maybe we'll get. I like the idea of the iteration, Ben. I love that it's just like we don't even know, but we're gonna do it. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna. It's only gonna get better. It's only gonna get better. I'm excited for like iter- whatever iteration it's gonna be, where we actually have like an intro and it's all. It actually looks cool and. Then we'll go back to this first one and we're like, oh, hi, we're here. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think, Johnny? Is this a wrap for the first iteration? Well, pretty close. I do. So the last thought I wanted to put on what Jen Deep was saying was just this hashtag. I forget that you can hashtag. You, I guess I never got in the hashtag boat. Like I don't hashtag things, but he has hashtag motivation on that last one. And I got to thinking like, what? what could you just say anything? 
Like you could say anything like hire hashtag motivation. You could say anything you want with hashtag motivation. And as long as it kind of feels good, that that thought thought bait. I think Jen Deep needs to keep his 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 faith in in that people are trying to do the right thing, even if on some level the outcome may seem to be a little bit unfair to to you or the applicant in this case, Jen Deep. Um, and he needs to keep a positive a positive view on 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 motivation and and his own attitude and 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 I think that you know don't don't completely discredit the importance of having a strong work ethic and a good attitude that's very important but I also think he needs to potentially think about acquiring the skills that 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 he thought were uh viewed as positive by the applicant that happened to get the job you know I think the the combination of the skills plus the attitude is what's always going to be uh, a much stronger candidate than a person who has just one or the other. The one-two punch. Right. So, yeah, that would be my take on you that. You got both the ones and the zeros. You got them both. Yeah. <laughs> because at the end of the day, like, you know, I'm not ashamed to say this because as a hiring manager, I've made mistakes too. I've hired people based on attitude. And I've hired people based on skill. And the, the unfortunate thing is that, you know, when you're trying to judge someone based on attitude in an interview, you're judging them based on maybe one hour or two hours of their life. Yeah. And it's really easy to make a poor judgment on someone's character, right? I mean, you, you could, I mean, it goes both ways. You, you, can, you can get the wrong impression of somebody Maybe they were having a bad day. Maybe they were stressed and they didn't give off the right vibe. And then, you know, like, let's just assume that this person is relatively, the candidate is relatively inexperienced, um, you know, and, and you, you could be passing up on a person simply because they don't have the right skills. And on that particular day for that one hour you're talking to them, you just, they just didn't make a very good impression of their character. And, you know, and then also there there's... A mistake that I've made in the past too, where maybe I was really impressed by someone's character, and I thought that that was indicative of of their of their of their abilities to learn and pick up things, and uh, I was disappointed. But at the end of the day, what I was left with was somebody who actually didn't have the character that I thought they had, Ooh. and didn't have the skills oh. in which case it's a really bad combination to not have the skills nor the character then you got to take some action to you know either try to train that individual if they have the potential or you you know you have to take more drastic measures well that i want to talk about that on the next iteration ben that's yeah. what i want to do we should do that because that sounds like we're getting into some juiciness there. Like that, that's <laughs> like, what do you, cause it's easy to do stuff when things go right, but when things go wrong, that's when you really like, Oh, okay. We have to. Right. Have to and, and, out- and that's where, that's where like as a manager, you've got a really tough job because let's just say that you, you take someone who, who has the skills, but maybe not the attitude, at least the skills are there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can you can kind of work with the with the character to a degree 
um, it's just it's just a matter of picking your poison at some point. I love it. Well, let's pick our poison on the next iteration. That sounds like a plan. Well, folks, this was the iteration version one. If you liked what you heard, please smash that subscribe button and we'll see you next time.